Welcome to another big interview compilation show where we look at one common thread, although he's a rather uncommon thread. He came up right throughout the first season of the Big Interview podcast, and as a born and bred Aberdonian, Alex Ferguson had a huge influence on my life. He revolutionised my hometown team in the 1980s through strategic management and sheer force of will. To me, and to his players, Fergie made everything seem possible. So, it'd be impossible to do a football podcast without talking about this legendary Scott. The contributions from his dinner guest, Jamie Carragher, and Kevin Bridges reveal a different side of this guy, his forensic memory, Fergie's humour, his deep love of the beautiful game. Davy Moyes and Gordon Strachan also give us an insight into the force of nature that Fergie was in his younger days. Possibly is now too. To Strachan, Fergie remains the best sports psychologist on the planet. Then, Darren Fletcher's testimony takes us right into Fergie's dressing room, on a match day too. If you want to know what a Fergie team talk is like, Listen to the very end of this and enjoy every second. No air dryers. You lived in a time of Alex Ferguson. You had to go up against him when his single motive to begin with was to knock Liverpool off its mm. effing perch and to make Manchester United great. Do you look back and think that he was a curse in my playing life? Have you found respect for him subsequent to your career? Could that have been 22 trophies or mm. 25 trophies, if, no, if not for him? I've, I've got massive respect for Ferguson. I, I actually look at my career and, and think of the trophies that we won. Every player, no matter what he's won, will always say he wants more, and I'm no different. Mm. I still think, did I do enough? Could I have done more? I should have done more. I should have done this, should have done that. But not even Ferguson. He's that's one of the greatest managers of all time. The greatest Manchester United manager there's ever been. I think that's right, even just surpassing to Matt Busby, but... Mm. We were up against Mourinho, one of the best managers of all time. Arsene Wenger, one of the best managers of all time, especially in our game. In the British game, we'd be thinking, well, certainly the top ten, if you're talking about the top five or six maybe managers to ever manage in our country, those three names have got a great shout of being in there. That's what we were up against at that time. So to actually look at what we come out with and what we won, trophies we won, considering the competition at that time, I think I'm not lucky, but sort of proud of what we did, considering the competition. But in terms of Ferguson... No, I mean, I always got on brilliantly well with Alex Ferguson. I didn't know him that well, I must say. Two or three times we had words in tunnels at half-time, at the end of a game, both passionate about your team. But he written me a nice letter when I finished. So I uh, I got his address off Michael Owen and uh, returned the favour, you know, written my letter back. And uh, I actually asked, could I, I meet, meet him, was probably the wrong way, but sort of have a, what we're doing now, have a football chat, chat. have a meal. Because, yeah. listen, you're rivals, but... Any Liverpool fan or supporter who doesn't have respect for what he did and all his knowledge of football, that's just that's just stupid. So, and he only lives half an hour down the road, he's only mansion, not like he's at the end of the world. So I went and met him, and had a couple of hours with him, had a meal with him, talking football, my experience at Liverpool, his Man United teams, how it started off, talking about players now, then, and, and the one thing I took from it is memories. I mean, my memory's pretty good about football, remembering games when I was a kid and games when I played. But I mentioned the game to him. I mean, I was an Everton fan as a kid. And I mentioned the game to him in 1987. I went to Old Trafford. And uh, Everton won the league that year, 87. And then the game finished 0-0. And I don't know how it would come up in conversation. But he told me a story about the game. I'm thinking, that's how long ago was that? He knew what system they played. He played three at the back. He had to pop up one of his players, and it was Graham Hogg. 
that he'd give the formation away in the paper the day before, and you know all that. Thinking to remember that the games he's been involved in, especially no disrespect, that is not an <laughs> ageism uh, slant on him, but the games he's been involved in, how old he was to to instantly know what had gone on a little bit in that game. I just thought it was fascinating. I know I don't look back at him and think, listen, who knows? I, I think I was fortunate to have Jared Hulley, Rafa Benitez, uh, Kenny Daglish, yes. Roy Evans. So I think, you know, whoever your manager but there's no doubt he had a massive impact on the uh, sort of situation with, with Liverpool and Manchester United. I'd done a, a gig for Manchester United. It was Alex Ferguson's 25th anniversary dinner. And he, he'd asked if I would come on and do like a stand-up set. So obviously I said to my mum and dad, look, you want to come down to Manchester for this gig? And I arranged it so my dad could meet Fergie. My dad said, that he, he said, Fergie reminds my dad a lot of his, his own dad, like my granddad John. Really? Kind of old school, Glasgow uh-huh. ship worker sort of thing. And uh, so I introduced the two of them. Look, Fergie had come over to thank me for coming down to the... I'm just going, I can't even believe he's even talking to me, mate, but mm. this is my dad. The two of them sort of... They had to off straight away. My dad pulled him up for he'd button Bobby Murdoch. <laughs> right away. I think Fergie was laughing because there's no like facade or something. Alex Ferguson, I think he's still very much govern guy and I think he loved a bit of that. Like my dad gave him a bit of grief right away. So the two of them began to talk about juniors. My dad was saying he used to go and watch the Toker Hibs juniors. And then Fergie's going, oh, they had a great left half or whatever, no, the old guy positions, inside right or whatever they're calling it. And he's going on, what was his name? And my dad said the name. Then Fergie's going on, and he went to East Fife, didn't he? And then, who was the goalkeeper? And the two of them are just like, Ferguson's PAs try to drag him away to go and like, start the event. But he's too busy going, that's going to annoy me the whole night now. What was his name? <laughs> You're just going, it's amazing to see him bringing his football right back to that level and, and for just how long ago it was as well, considering the guys coached Rooney, Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, all these David Beckham superstars. And to see how much he'd moved on with the game. I think my dad's very much like that. He admires modern football. He's into reading about Guardiola and Mourinho mm. and sports science tactics, how the game's evolved itself. So he's, he's no one of these, oh, back in my day, it was much better, guys. As an Aberdonian, I remember the first time I saw Alec Ferguson. I remember the first time I met Alec Ferguson. I remember my first bawling out from him, which was at the World Cup, for mm-hmm. suggesting to him... Um, as he was getting us tickets for the Russia game, mm-hmm. that maybe Jockstein should <coughs> drop Alan Ruff and mm-hmm. replace him with the Aberdeen keeper, yeah. Jim Layton. And he gave it to me both barrels right there in the lobby of the hotel mm-hmm. in, in the Costa del Sol. Can you remember the first time you met Fergie? I'll tell you the first time I really, my memories really go back, was probably I was sitting in the dugout at Celtic Park. I was substitute against Aberdeen, sort of looking from one dugout to the other and seeing Sir Alex in, in full voice, you want to call it that. <laughs> and, and that was probably my, my memory. Of course we knew Sir Alex from his management, and I remember him very slightly as a player at Glasgow Rangers. But uh, the biggest thing is actually when I was in the dugout, looking across and seeing him, because he had a great Aberdeen team as well at that time. We could talk a little bit about that if you like. Well, you know, you know, I'm sure you're, you're probably a master in talking about that. They were an inspiration to me. But when you say in full, you know, it, he was a sight to behold. And the electricity that he emanated in difficult grounds for that Aberdeen side, say Ibrox and Parkhead, but also abroad as they wanted to win mm-hmm. the Cup of Cup. He had something that you talked about Billy had. And of course, he, he succeeded Billy mm-hmm. at Patodi, where irrespective of making good decisions or making people either inspired by you or fearful mm-hmm. of you, some people do emanate mm-hmm. uh, something electric. Some people naturally inspire 
yeah. footballers to follow them. He, mm-hmm. he had that, presumably. He had that, but he was from a, an era in Scottish managers who were tough. <laughs> it came from a tough Scottish years. You know, one of the questions I continually get asked is, why is Scotland so successful with their coaches and their managers? It's not biased, I think it's right. I think they run the best coaching courses, and they, they have done. But I used to always say, when I went in my coaching courses as a young coach... Sir Alex would be there, Walter Smith would be there, you know, Craig Brown would be there, Andy Roxburgh, who was head at UEFA in the end, would be there. I was gifted with so many good coaches and good knowledge, but I'll tell you what, they were good coaches, but they were really tough. Mm-hmm. They were tough managers, they didn't take prisoners, you know, you were expected to perform, there was a level where you had to perform at. And I think that, obviously, it's changed. Society's coaching and management has changed in, in how you can deal with players but that era of managers in Scotland were, were very strong. And that's where I think Sir Alex was in the main. He, was, he kept that going longer than, than most people because of what he had. He had that background. And I think, that, I think it works. And I think that if you can keep it, I think it can be successful. But I do think that probably even Sir Alex, maybe he's, he's near his end days, maybe wasn't given so many hair dryers as he had done no. in the past. Because... There is a change to everybody who becomes a coach. You know, you have to you have to evolve with the time and the era and the players you're with. I haven't researched this. I've looked back on some of the things that, that I'm asking you. I'm going to ask you, but I might make a, a boop here. But did he ask you to assist him? Yeah. I, I thought that mm-hmm. when you were at Preston or yeah, at Preston. I got a phone call from actually uh, one of my players who was big friends with Darren. It was Mark Rankin, and they were big friends with that. He says. Uh, Alex wants to meet you. Mm-hmm. He was someone who I, I really respected. And, of course. You know, for me, being a young Scottish manager, he was the godfather. You know, he, was the, he was the one you would look up to. So I went and, and met him. And he asked me whether I come to his house. I went into his house and uh, he, he said, look, I'm going to have a new assistant manager. I'm interested in bringing you. So we talked. I think to myself, you know, I wonder what, uh, you know, what it's going to be like. What but of course, I'd have been interested... Now, just as we were leaving, he said to me, look, there's one other person who, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak to as well. And I said, it's no problem. I was in a great job at Preston. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have... Would you have left to go to Manchester United then? It would be so difficult to say no. That would have been for sure. But the one thing I was, I was in a great job with great people and, and working on my own. As it was, Steve McLaren became Sir Alex's number two. And I remember when I asked Sir Alex, you know, after maybe, you know, why was it that you know, you didn't think I would have been suitable or that. He says, you're maybe a bit too intense. And I thought to myself, a bit like I saw you across the dugout when you were the manager at Aberdeen and I was a ma- when I was a young player at Celtic. So there was a bit of that where I thought, OK, no problem. I wasn't, I wasn't in need of the job. I wasn't desperate for the job. It's quite a surprising reply, given that... Because, listen, unlike you and certainly unlike me, we've begun to talk in euphemisms. Yeah. Because when Fergie's angry, or when Fergie's intense, or when he wants something, or when he went and knocked somebody down, yeah. whatever, it's a force of nature. Yeah. And it's dangerous to be around. Mm-hmm. That's not to say we both know he's a hugely intelligent man, a strategic man, mm-hmm. well-read, increasingly well-educated. Mm-hmm. I think people around him have said for many years now, that if he'd chosen to be a politician, if he'd chosen to be a leader mm-hmm. of industry, he'd have probably achieved something similar. But for him to say that you might be too intense, I don't know if that's a compliment, but I tell you, it's damn strange. The only thing, Manchester United that year went on to win the, the European Cup. They did. And I thought to myself, would that not have been nice to have had a medal from the European Cup? That's for sure. now in those yeah. situations. And so, but that's the way football is. And in many ways, the path that I took 
I think was probably the right path that you know, and that uh, I stayed at Preston and waited for the opportunity till I left. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sports psychology is okay one for one. Because mm. a sports manager, and people say, well, when's your psychology work? I say, it's every second of the day. I've got to look like a leader, behave like a leader, look after players. Well, it's the first thing on Monday morning when I come in, because the steward will say to the receptionist, he's a bit down, mm-hmm. he's this, he's beat. You've got to walk in there and convince everybody in that building that you're ready for this next game coming up. And he was like that, Ferguson. And, and you try and do your best the same. Sports psychologists, when you're doing your university studies, it's basically make somebody better. That's what you do. Help them. It's not that way in sports, this, in the footballing world. I have 25, 26 players, say Alec Ferguson. He only needs to make 14 feel better for that weekend game. Mm-hmm. The rest, deal with it. Mm-hmm. I'll deal with you later. You know, if you're down, tough. If you feel bad about yourself, boom. If you feel like bursting into tears, which many has had, after the abuse that you get, tough, deal with it. I'll bring you back in the fold when you're ready to come back in the fold. In sports psychology, you're the man, you're the manager, you're the sports psychologist at a club. Okay, some people might need individual help. Problems on and off the pitch. Sports psychologists might help, might help with things. But it generally it's at the, the football manager who's a sports psychologist. I remember watching Ernie Els, and he's disappeared again, the sports psychologist. When he was winning, he always had a sports psychologist beside him. Always stand beside him on the green. And I remember the interview about Ernie and the sports psychologist, and somebody asked him, do you have any other players? He went, yeah, well, I've got about another 15. We'll get out and help them, because they've not made the cut. Ernie's doing OK. Ernie's doing all right. And you've watched the thing with sports psychologists, they seem to turn up when things are going well. I think one turned up to help England, who was Liverpool one, and he turned I, I, up, I have he no, was going to do this and I do that. I have no comment to make what this guy's worked in, but Luis Enrique has brought a sports psychologist with him, and he is like a limpet to him everywhere at Barcelona yeah. I say that without comment I've met him I've watched him but when Lucian Rick is talking to media sports psychologist is on his right shoulder when he goes into a one-on-one interview room like this the sports psychologist is in there with him now I'm not sure if he's assessing and listening to his clients saying well what I would have done or the next thing and I know that the players even these elite players at yeah. Barcelona are like hold on now that's, that's witchcraft take it away yeah. and I, it's I think, a difficult process yeah I think that's a problem because you are what you are and you cannot and that's what the players want they want you to lead them mm-hmm. know this voice coming from the side yeah. into the head and past it they want you to be the leader they want you to lose your temper in an interview because you've decided I'm not going to listen to you because you've said my players are not very good I'm telling you they're good and I'm telling you they're right. I'm telling you they're the right players. And they'll become... And they go, oh, yeah, I think he's, he's defending us. You know, he's, they're not wanting another voice coming through to talk. This one to talk to this. What one at Southampton as well. I mean, oh, she burst into tears. She couldn't handle the players. She couldn't handle the players. We went to Liverpool next again day after her burst into tears and I had to go to the... Because Rupert had her there before I got there. And we went and beat Liverpool 2-1. It's not a problem. If Ferguson was the best sports... The way he went about it, you would go, well, you couldn't get away with any other business apart from sport. Ruthless. Absolutely. And, and ruthless. Often unfair. Yeah, you would think it was unfair. 
and it could put it scarred people for life. Some people, but just you could say about Leo Messi, like <clears throat> okay, he plays like that, but we won't see anybody else. Mr. Ferguson had a phenomenal ability to feed off that chain of. I'm in charge and you'll do this and strengthen himself. Whereas I think the normal human being gets tired out by that. Yeah. I think what, what, it breaks you. I think, yeah, it's right. But it fed him. Well, he worked on anger. That was his petrol. He was only at his best when he's angry. And, and to be fair, and I'm not, trust me, I'm, I'm not going to say anything like him. When I was a football player, when I was angry, I was a better player. Mm-hmm. Anger made me more focused, more determined, yeah. And that's why I say when you're asking me about Leeds, I just seem to be angry all the time. Was it doing you damage subsequently when you... No. Uh, no, well, I mean, I'm asking seriously I could, I could go away for it and not be angry anymore. On and off? Aye. As I've seen... I think if you spoke to me, if you spoke to anybody that's spoken to me, you spend most of your time laughing. As I've seen he can do. For all that it appeared that you were in the full force of the hurricane with him, yeah. 90% of the time it was manufactured or turned on. Now, the anger was real there, I know, but oh, I thought real. he was a very... Listen, I, I only see... If you listen to this... Most of this stuff I see... He's a very manipulative man. Aberdeen, when he was a young manager, and us in the same dress room, you pay thousands to see it, millions to see the, what went on in there. Because there was people who thought they knew what was going on, because we've all been managers most of that team, yeah. and we all thought we knew the game. And then he'd come in. The raw energy in the room was quite frightening. It was incredible. It was something I wouldn't have missed for the wall. It was fantastic. So you won't sneer at me if I say that by being a fan for my club, which I care about passionately yeah. still, I'll still be an idiot and travel everywhere with a red sky phone and I'll always be that way and I don't care. But by watching and listening and watching you lot under him change the boundaries and say, we can beat them. Yeah. We can go there and we can beat them. I went, I can do that too. Now, I think that's a, a little ripple in the pond effect from him. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, the world's yours if you want to take uh, it. As, as fans who used to go to Ibrox and just go there, yeah, I actually gone down there with a strut. And that's what we had, a strut. It wasn't a... It was a confidence. I don't think it was an arrogance. It was a confidence that we, we trusted each other mm-hmm. and vice versa. The fans trusted the players and we trusted... So you had this group all matching down to Glasgow. Here you. we go. I tell you, it felt... And it, and matter of fact, you actually took it for granted after a while. <laughs> yes. Not complacency, but a belief that it you would do, keep on We've got to be there because somebody said about getting the Scottish Cup final. And I remember a point where we used to think, well, we, we're going there every week, every year. That's where we go. Oh, we went down hand. We knew you'd win. We, go, we knew you'd win. We go, we go every year. We're off again. Let's go. I, I, a really striking memory of mine. Carrington one day, you'd help warm up an atmosphere I was going into where I didn't know Robin Van Persie very well. Two things really struck me in an interview with him. One, his absolute obsession with winning the Champions League. He stated he was desperate to win it. But also, for me, a really strange thing, the impact that the manager had had on him, that he said from a distance he'd not been sure why Manchester United were so hard to beat and hard to play against him. But he came in and, lo and behold, he went, I think he said to you, or you said to me, it's him, it's it's that fella. You presumably, you were there for nearly 350 games, or maybe even more than that. So you had a long chunk of what Robin Van Persie enjoyed. What's that experience like of being around that guy as a as a just a manager, but as a, a somebody who changes your life? I presume influences your your beliefs and your behaviours. What kind of experience has that been in in human terms, not just as a footballer? 
the best thing I can I did everything to please Sarge Ferguson you, mm. you wanted to earn his well done mm. and you wanted to play for him you know you wanted to win for him you wanted to do everything for him because of with how much respect he treated you with how much he learned you and how much of a winner he was you know you were so you had a presence you were so overawed by him but at the same time feel like your father you know mm. he would flip between that between one minute you were like petrified and like oh my you know that sucks and you're a little bit cautious mm -hmm. and then within two minutes you were chatting away to him as if he was like a member of your family and that was the same with everyone I'm not saying that because I'm Scottish that was the same with every player it's it's, it's so hard to put into words of how, how influential he is and how what made him so special but I know for a fact that everyone was just wanted it for him more than themselves sometimes mm -hmm. and he had that effect on you that he wanted to win for him and to please him and to be, for him to say well done was the ultimate compliment. Would, would that be right in steering? Because I've met him a lot over the years and I've listened to many, many players of different ages and a couple of different clubs talking about him. And while he's clearly a man for whom football is everything and he's soaked in the traditions of football and he's made football as a sport better, I'm always struck by the degree to which this, it's this, it's called man management, but it's more than that. It's the, the human side, his decisions, how he can treat people when he chooses to, because he can also be brusque and ruthless. There's no getting away from that. But he can make people feel special. He can teach them. He can make them give more than they knew they were capable of doing. That's an ability he's got, am I right? And secondly, that would have been transferable, I suspect, to almost anything he chose to do. Yeah, he's a winner. You know, it, no matter what he chose to do, he'd, he, he would have succeeded and won it because you know he had just that inner drive and determination. It's, it, the other thing starts was you never knew what you were going to get. You know, he could have the most simplest team talk where it was literally twenty thirty seconds, mm -hmm. or he could tell you an old story mm -hmm. and, and make you a hair stand up on the back of your neck. You could come in at half time where you've played great. And he could go absolutely mental. He could come in where you've played terrible and he's calm and he picks on one or two tactical things. You didn't know what you were going to get. You know, you could walk in at 3-0 up. You could get one of the biggest bollockings of the season. Or you could walk in 1-0 down and he would be so calm and he would go to his tactical board and he would pick one or two tactics and calm everyone down and you'd go on to win the game. His team talks before Champions League games were something I'll, I'll never forget you know the, when it got to semi-finals finals quarter-finals how calm he was and the way he went into just tell a little story about something about maybe someone he'd met it's his famous one about the game of chess before about chess before the final in Moscow about his upbringing about our upbringing about anything and he'd just tell a story translate it to what we were about to experience and you just went onto that pitch full of confidence but also with you know, your heart and your mind full of, of, of things that he spoke to you about. You've, you've surprised me a little bit about using the phrase the calmness before a Champions League game but you've reminded me of something where with ears this size you sometimes detect things that aren't just words and I would go I reported on every game when United won the treble because I happened to be the United reporter then and I remember thinking that the difference between the Alex Ferguson briefings to the media before a league game or after a league game compared to those Mondays or Tuesdays at Old Trafford when he spoke to the media, never mind the players, we, you know, we were unimportant, but there, there was a, a completely different aura. He would 
talk about football to us. He would talk about the game. He would willingly talk about the opponents. When, if you weren't in favour or if you uh, if you were in a bad mood on a Friday before a league game, then I can't use the word because my mum's listening. But right. it's Anglo-Saxon, and you wouldn't get anything if he wasn't in the mood. In fact, you could be banned. But on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, it felt like a masterclass for us. So I recognised the the different intensity around Manchester United. But calmness is or a special calmness is is a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I might have thought that there'd be more agitation, a bit more intensity, a bit more yeah. anxiety about the club. No, because his final words after every team talk was make sure you go and enjoy yourself. And that was no matter whether, you know, that was his final words every time. And then the biggest thing for me was after he did his team talk, he would sit in the corner with his programme and he'd cross his leg and he'd read his programme. And that calmness almost reflected in, I've got ultimate trust in you guys. I know we're prepared from Monday all the way through to this game or however long we've done our work now. There's nothing more I can say. I'm not going to walk around the changing room like a man possessed and this mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. And then it was trust in the players mm-hmm. that he had ultimate trust in and the team he picked and belief. And whether he did it on purpose or what, it, it was just a calmness that reflected on the rest of the team because there's a, the greatest manager of all time, in my opinion. We're about to play in one of the biggest games of the season, a Champions League semi-final, and he's got his cup of tea and he's reading the old programme and he's chatting away to everyone, maybe bringing up an old fact in the programme and, and you know, because his football memory is fantastic. He remembers every name of every player and he'll chat to you about, about something to, in the programme because his work's done now and it's over to you. You're in your own zone you take him to the information, he trusts you to go out and deliver. And if he feels that he needs to say any more, he'll do it at half-time. How much do you get in life that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life, and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these, in their full form, and many more, are available if you search for the big interview on ACAST, that's A-C-A-S-T, iTunes, or usually wherever you get your podcasts. The big interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address. And if you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook. Search for The Big Interview and GH Podcast on Twitter, plus Instagram. Keep in touch. Let us know what you think. More soon, baby. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.